podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What is Forrest Gump's computer password? One Forrest One. No. Um, Never that's mind. Barretto's still trying to get it. Because <laughs> <laughs> run Forrest Run, and then what, you know you always have to have a number and a thing. So he's, he's gone for One Forest One. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Come on, if and I have to explain there it them, is. It doesn't make them funny. <laughs> there you go. Um, see that? So he, now he finds it funny now that it's been explained <laughs> to him in meticulous detail. No, I think he's just having a shunt because he didn't get a joke and now he's feeling a bit embarrassed and he can't yeah, breathe. Maybe. Yeah, he's lost it. He's doing that silent laughter where there's no noise coming out. There it is. No, he's, it sounds yeah, like he's gone. people listening, they're going to think you're, you're having some sort of like episode. You know, you're just like, <laughs> we're just watching you slowly die on the other end of the... He's, he's alive. It's okay. I'm alive. I'm alive. Yeah, this is the thing, you know, I think people have to, listening, have to realise some of my jokes are just going to be on a higher plane than a lot, a lot of people are going to get, and we just got to live with that, you know? And some of them are going to be a plane crash. Hey! <laughs> Chris Medland with the jokes. <laughs> I knew we'd have a good joke to start the episode at last. Welcome to The Pat Talk, a podcast featuring stories following Formula One around the world. I'm Lawrence Barretto, senior writer at F1.com. And I'm Chris Medland, F1 correspondent at Racer. And I'm Nate Saunders, F1 writer at ESPN. F1 writer? Yeah. Keeping it, that, keeping it fresh. Okay, is that just a description rather than your job title, or has things changed in <laughs> ESPN Towers? <laughs> no, I just, I, by, by him physically, I'm an F1 writer at ESPN. Um, so, you know, I'm keeping it. Keeping it more fact, like not fact based, but like li- literally based for this episode. But also, you do other podcasts, so you're more than a writer, mate. More than I am. Writer. Yeah, I'm. I'm one third of the ESPN F1 podcast, which is you know on a level playing field with this one. But people should listen to it as well. Um, what else do I do? Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely more than a writer, which yeah. is one of the BG's lesser known hits. <laughs> that's good Meadows, you, I'm worried that the opening segment of this show is going to be taken over by Meadows he's, he's on fire today he's having it's a good not show. just the opening segment mate <laughs> next week's pad hoc featuring Lawrence and Meadows and nobody else <laughs> nah I, I, I need you here you, you inspire me to be funnier than you <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say to be better <laughs> no. you inspire me to be better Nate and everything which you just did you just spit your tea out, Nate? No, <laughs> definitely didn't. It's just drinking I, coffee. Drinking coffee, so <laughs> spat my coffee out. Oh, see, I'm laughing now, Nate. You must be a little bit funny. Yeah, I think I'm funny, but I'm usually funny without meaning to be. And when I try to be funny, I get that dead air. This is true. To be fair, um, yeah, you're you just going through life as normal is hilarious, but. <laughs> Um, that's why, yeah. that's why you're here actually, to be honest. Yeah. Just, I think just be I'm, gonna, you, Nate. I'm one day going to pitch just a fly on the wall documentary where people just film me and then just a day in the life of Nate Saunders. I think it'd be quite funny. As I, long as like I didn't, as long as I forgot the cameras were there, like, you know, I don't want to play up to them. Yeah. This isn't, um, because you're bold, but Carl Pilkington does spring to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's probably fair actually. Not, uh, hopefully not quite as like miserable as him. No. Oh, uh, Maybe. Sometimes. No, you're a positive guy. 
Good. Or is maybe the that's Nate's... the spin-off. Of is this, this the Nate episode? Yeah. <laughs> the Nate Saunders super shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for anyone listening, just to clarify. Um, Too late. Oh, guys, you've both, I mean, come, you've both come so far, haven't you, from your first days as journalists? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I never thought, you know, when I walked through the doors of News Associates in Wimbledon, <laughs> that there'd one day be a podcast episode devoted to me and my comedic genius. It's, I'm quite humbled by it. Well, that's life complete, isn't it? Surely. Pretty much. Well, until episode two of the Nate's Order <laughs> Super Show. That's now the next, you know, you've always got to set the next goal. So that's the next one. I was always in, trying to be better. I was envisaging more as a, a one-off documentary rather than a series. Oh, I was oh. thinking of it as like a kind of last dance style, like look into, you know, like, like Michael Jordan-esque. I'm not saying I am like Michael Jordan yet, but, you know, people might want to, people might binge through six episodes of that, you know, retrospective look at my life whilst also looking at what's happening in the current timeline. What we but that's all it? on Medes. Medes is the editor, so what we call it, call yeah. it. I'm not sure about the Nate Saunders Super Show. I feel like, yeah, documentary <laughs> style needs to be a little bit more catchy. Yeah. Like, even if it's just like being Nate. Being Nate, a Saunders story. Or <laughs> uh, a Saunders among the pigeons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that one, just because it, it makes absolutely no sense. But also, you'd watch it, right? A Saunders among the pigeons. People are like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, I, I quite like the idea of saunders in pursuit of nateness <laughs> yeah that's good but there, there's two good ones well there's a good reason for a sequel and a and an original you know now we've got two two names you could have feature length you could have netflix documentary style i mean there's lots of different ways you can sell this yeah yeah i just need to go and achieve something with my life now to make, <laughs> to make the documentary worthwhile it could be a cartoon uh it oh, could be could like be episodic it could be like 20 minutes and then you get like the simpsons movie style bit that would be I mean, yeah, there's endless opportunities. Saunders the movie. Um, little wow. short as well. That'd be quite nice. Yeah, little Nate. Yeah. Little Nate. <laughs> <laughs> just little oh. Nates, and there's there's like little little animated characters of me. I've just realised we talked about podcasts that you've done before, and last week I have to tip my cap literally because I'm wearing a cap right now. Um, that you got Pierre Gasly on the ESPN podcast yeah. a couple of days after he'd won at Monza, and that Two means days. that podcast was genuinely French and Saunders. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh wow! Oh man! So now I feel like I blew that opportunity to go. I have to go back and like re-edit it. Well, not me, because you know <laughs> that's not my job. I'm a writer, as we as we established. But um, <laughs> yeah, damn, that was that would have been good. I have to get him on again and be like, "This is the second French and Saunders episode," <laughs> and he won't get it because obviously it's not a big deal outside the UK or really anywhere. <laughs> no, it's it's gone. It's had its like, time. Most yeah, people like, listening to like, like what? That was like late. Not, late. We just aged ourselves there. I was like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. People use that Google that Nate finds all his uh, best content. Yeah, it's, a really good, it's a really good website. I can't recommend it highly enough. Like you, click something, <laughs> you, wait, you wait maybe a couple, couple of nanoseconds and then everything just pops up. It's great. You know, I think it's going to be huge. So watch this space. We're looking for sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Google. <laughs> hey, hello? <laughs> My phone just went off. Um, so it didn't on my headphones. It's fine. Um, but that shows how far we've come to be fair. Cause we know what Google is now. Yeah. So uh, we've progressed a lot in our careers. But... We st- I mean, we still had Google when we started our careers. We're not that old. To be fair, you're the oldest here. So <laughs> yeah. What was it like when you, when you started? <laughs> I? yeah, the, your face dropped then. Yeah, you are. I'm the youngest uh, here, which is crazy. Yeah. I remember when I used to be young, when I used yeah. to be the youngest. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm a gentleman. Wow. 30, truly what depressed me. 31. Meadows is 31. And Lazio. 34. 34. Wow. wow. Wowzers. I mean, I mean, all tell, power tell to you, though, story, for doing this podcast the and doing... <laughs> I like the way that he's embracing new new technologies and things. He's not being scared by it. He's a silver yeah. surfer. Yeah, Which is also I... hilarious because, like, most people over thirty, like, or over thirty-five, will just be like, "Can you guys shut up? You're still super young." Like, I know people who are thirty-five, and I'm like, "Oh God, I'm thirty. I'm so old." They're like, "Shut up! You got so like you got so much of your life left." It's like, do I? Do I really? <laughs> It's I love the way during these podcasts we are slowly alienating different people. But <laughs> yeah. We've just cut out a big chunk. We have just like basically half the population of the world, I, I'd imagine, are above our age. So they're out. Yeah. Um, and then anyone under the age of, I don't know, 10 definitely aren't picking their own podcasts to watch. So we've narrowed our window a lot. Um, and then French and Saunders. So French and Saunders fans, they're out. Uh, well, they're out, but also they anyone who doesn't know what French and Saunders is or was <laughs> also out. So we're down to. So I us. think now the only person listening is my neighbour Gary, <laughs> uh, who doesn't fit any of those demographics, weirdly. And I suppose he's only listening because you're talking so loudly. He can hear you no, the, the wall. Yeah, the wall's so thin. He's actually just sat there with his, with a cup against the wall, just listening and, to and it. Hearing he never one. listens. He's only he can only ever hear me. It's really weird. Yeah, he hear the rest of the podcast. It. Yeah. To be fair, that's all he needs to hear. That's the best yeah, part. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There's a compliment for you. Thanks, bud. That's all right. So um, you, you can, yeah, I do it every now and then. Well, I tell you what, I was going to ask Nate, but I'm going to ask Barreto um, as I'm hijacking this. But you mentioned how far we've come in our careers. When was your first Grand Prix? And like, was it um, was Chapman sort of the guy then, or was it um, was Enzo still kind of dominating? Like, what was it like? What did you make of the six wheel Tyrrell the first time you saw it? Like, was it? it must yeah, because you'd have cool. seen a lot by then. So. Yeah. You'd have been like, wow. Like, you guys. <laughs> hey. Um, oh, yeah, but the thing is, I'm probably going to pick a moment where you guys were quite young. So oh, no. my first race where I went to as a journalist was when I entered the Bridgestone e-reporter competition. And um, one of the races they sent me to was the Hungarian Grand Prix, which Jensen Button won. So that was mid-2000s, 2006? Six, yeah. I was playing cricket that day. <laughs> how do you yeah, like... I was, I'm just hijacking your story but yeah I, I used to watch F1 races religiously and being a young lad from Somerset wanted Jensen Button to do really well and he'd gone 100 odd races hadn't he without winning and I had to play cricket that afternoon I was somewhere in Somerset in this tiny little village playing cricket it was really nice lovely day um, came back to my phone after fielding to see all these messages from mates who weren't playing cricket and had seen that Jensen Button had won and been like oh you must be buzzing and I was like oh I'd missed it <laughs> I mean, it, no one was expecting it to be a mega race, so it wasn't like you could have predicted. Hungary, generally speaking, wasn't an exciting race. It was only because it rained. And he was 14th so, on the grid as well, right? So, like, no one thought yeah. he was going to win that. No, and that car was good, but it was only really a podium car. Like, it wasn't really a race-winning car in the right and conditions. I, I remember that race because I was on holiday in Italy, and we were watching it um, at my, my cousin's house, and the, the commentary was Italian, and obviously Schumacher had a bad race. So Ferrari, uh, well, no, I think he had a decent race, but he dropped off the podium, maybe. He was like fourth. So the commentary was really like deflated and like, oh, such an opportunity missed. And I was going absolutely wild, like, hey, Jensen <laughs> Button's winning a race. But the comment, so I missed like the British commentary to it. Yeah, because um, Fernando was probably going to win it, wasn't he? And then he didn't have a, then he a wheel out. on right um, after a yeah. pit stop. So. And me and my dad had just got tickets that weekend to Monza, which was like a cup, like the end of the following month. 
<clears throat> so we were super amped. For oh, massive fever. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And, um, but yeah, yeah, that's funny, isn't it? We all remember that race. It felt like a big deal because everyone was always talking about in, in the UK, like, oh, Button's never going to get it done. And they did. And then Lewis Hamilton turned up and for two years, everyone forgot about Button again. <laughs> and then he won the title. That's how, yeah. that's how it seemed. Um, well, sorry, Lazar, I hijacked your story. That's all right. In truth, I didn't think at that point that he was ever going to win a race. I thought he'd, I thought he'd missed all his best opportunities. So, um, but I was mainly there to cover the F, well, what was GP2 then? Because Lewis was racing that season. Mm. So it was, it was mega. So part of this thing that I did with the Bridge Training Reporter competition is you just got to interview all the drivers. You wrote race reports and you interviewed all the drivers after the session. And it was back in the day when like Lewis and his dad, Anthony, were like inseparable. So literally everywhere Lewis went, Anthony would just like flank him. And I remember we did in, when you did interviews with them, you wouldn't like sit down at a table. You'd just sit up on like those cabinets at the back of the F2 garage. So it's quite, they're quite what I would describe as makeshift, not in a derogatory sense, but like they kind of pop them up. You have the car and then you just have like those cabinets with all the tools in it. Like what, if I ever had a garage, it was kind of like what I imagine my garage would be like. Yeah. Lots of wrenches and bolts and things like that. And so we were just sat up on the top there. And he was, I remember Lewis was so quietly spoken you could barely, you could barely hear him. You kind of had to lean in to hear what he said. But he was still as well spoken then as he is, um, as he is now. But he was quite scared to say anything. Like he mm. didn't want. He was very careful to not to be too controversial. And like we were just saying, how far we've come. Like he's completely different now, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You he's... can put him in that bracket, can't you? Like if you look at our career progression and Lewis Hamilton's career progression, and they're very similar trajectories <laughs> and, and what we've achieved. If I'm honest, I'm... if I look at my bank account, it's uh, yeah, no. <laughs> If anything, um, Lewis probably looks at the three of us as like the example, the benchmark we keep setting. He's like, look, I need to, I need to be up with these three guys. Well, That's... we've inspired him, haven't we? Essentially, yeah. We're quite, I, I, I'd be inspired by us. I mean, you have Barreto because you were, you were there before he was. He saw you, <laughs> and he's like, here's a guy achieving already in his career. Whereas Nate and I were still young, yeah, young pups, young playing bucks. cricket, yeah, young bucks. Whatever I mean, Nate I, was doing. I was just in Italy, just getting sunburnt, swatting flies, stuff like that. Great just generally stuff having a great holiday. Yeah, well, so where my cousins live is so remote in Italy that you spent most of the day running around fields or just swatting flies because there's so many of them, and you just have like a pile of dead flies by the end of like outside the house. It was just a daily occurrence. So, Can't like, wait to see this in your documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, genuinely, that was like summer days when I was growing up. Was just, I was just like, oh, I'm so bored. So you just go out with a fly swatter with my cousin. And at the time, couldn't speak any Italian. They couldn't really speak much English. So we just like communicate by like either hitting each other with these horrible fly swatters or hitting other flies. So that's still how I communicate with them now. <laughs> um, this is the kind say? of content that will make the documentary come alive. Later. Yeah, I think so. I think, it, I think, it's, I think it's got, got legs. Well, one quick question to you, Lazar. Mm. With Anthony there, what was he like with, when you were asking questions? Did he kind of like jump in a lot or did he leave you to it? Just, <clears> but was just like, kind of like listening to see yeah, what you were I, asking? I suppose he was just kind of there more as a support rather than someone mm. who tried to uh, interfere which I thought yeah. was quite nice. I imagine obviously he briefed him beforehand and they obviously hang out so much that they kind of, he probably knew and trusted Lewis to kind of do the job. But um, I, I like that he kind of stood off a little bit and let you have a conversation rather than like hanging over you, peering mm. over you and kind of putting you under any pressure. Um, but I just remember at that point, Lewis was happy to talk to anyone. Not that he isn't happy to talk to anyone now because he's busier, but like he would, he would be happy to talk whenever you wanted to talk, you could just walk up to him in the garage and stuff. Um, and that was the great thing about GP2 then. And I, to, to be honest, I don't spend that much time in F, the F2 paddock these days. But um, back then you could just, 
it's so open and people are just so up for chatting and trying to get their story across. Um, so it's actually really refreshing. I think it would be fairly similar now. I, I haven't obviously been in there for a while because of we're banned from paddocks. But um, last year I used to go and do quite a few like Q and A's and things and interviews for race programs and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, you set up a time and sit in their little hospitality tent, but it was just a big area with really quite basic tables that everyone sat in and it was like a buffet dinner, but you had every team in there and officials and drivers and media every now and then going in. Um, it was quite cool because everyone would just see everyone and interact. So um, it was a lot more, yeah, close knit than, the F1 paddock. They don't all have their own hospitality section to hide in. They they just have one like blanket one for F2 and F3. So yeah, that was always quite cool actually. I thought, but it's just hard to get down there and find the time every weekend. Yeah, there was a time when I was like, I need to spend more time there, getting to know some of the younger guys who clearly kind of are coming up. But you just like you say, Meadows, like you just don't get the time in a weekend. Like before you know it, you're like like oh wow, okay, it's qualifying, and I've I've only been in the F1 paddock, and there's no time to go down and even to spend like half an hour just kind of trying to chat to people. So um, if there's a shorter weekend, hopefully that frees up some, some like time around that, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, because the, well, the problem is the schedule as well, isn't it? Because like Thursday is media day, so we're always working flat out. And that's when it's the setup day that you maybe would go down into the other paddock yeah. and chat to people. But then Friday, in the gaps that there's no F1 and you can wander down to their paddock, they're on track because they have to be on track when F1's not happening. And then, yeah, once you reach Saturday, they've got two races and all of that. So, yeah, it does, it does get out of hand pretty quick. But, um, Nate, um, so when was your first race? Mine was Spain 2015. Uh, so I did preseason testing that year. Uh, I think that was, I remember that because I did it and Lawrence Edmondson didn't do a week. So I think it was Hareth and then there was Barcelona and he did Hareth and I didn't, and didn't do Barcelona. I think I sat next to you, Meadows, and Lawrence are basically like, you know, help Nate out with, you know, everything. So I did that week. And then obviously a couple months later was back for, um, the first race. And to be honest with you, you know, it's, it's nothing like, uh, Barreto's first race because it was so it was the race itself was pretty dull I think Lewis got a bad start and then just basically DRS his way back to the front and Rosberg won but the feeling around the whole weekend was amazing you know I'm sure you guys remember the first time in the paddock you're like this is crazy you just see people walking around like I distinctly remember that um Iniesta was there that weekend and when I walked into the paddock on the Sunday I just walked straight past him. I was like oh that's and Andres Andres Iniesta just hanging out in the pack, and I, it kind of hit home to me like, oh wow, like this is actually a, an F1 paddock, and there's really important people here. But um, this is the funny thing when we were talking about doing this show. I, there, there's so little I remember about the the race itself, but I just remember that feeling of walking in the paddock, like walking down the paddock, and I remember walking to the end and then coming back to the media center just to kind of soak it in a bit, and that was really cool because it's like the first time, and you see all the motorhomes there, you see all the people like before the race milling around. I was like, this is this is mega. Like you feel like you've made it. That was very cool. The funny yeah. thing is now, like these days, you don't even notice that anymore, do you? When you're, yeah. going, like, you're like working day, you, it kind of just goes over your head so much. So this is something that I've, I've said this before, and sometimes it sounds a bit lame, but I genuinely try and do this now. When I go onto the grid before a race or when we were allowed to do that, um, I'll, I'll spend like a couple minutes. I'll just go to the front and I'll just try and like look down the, the grid and the crowd and just try and soak it up a bit because you can end up taking loads of photos of stuff or like trying to talk to people. But I'm also like one day they might just pull this out from under us. I remember doing it in Austin last year and that was actually the last race I, I, I went to because I didn't, go, I didn't do the, the last couple and obviously we haven't been, I haven't been to any this year because of, um, uh, well, Disney isn't letting us go, which I agree with. I'm not having a, I'm not having a dig at Disney before anyone listening thinks I am. Um, 
but yeah, I, I can distinctly remember standing there and looking down the paddock there. So it's like a, sorry, down the grid there. So it's quite a nice kind of thing to do because you get so caught up in that kind of like that work mindset that we have that you end up like, oh shit, like I completely passed me by that I've got this awesome opportunity to stay on the grid. Yeah, and, and Austin's quite a cool one. It's full of like rascal yeah. turns, isn't it? And they, they yeah. make a big deal before the race on that grid. That's yeah, the noise fun. is great. Like if you did that like in a FIFA, like Sochi or something, it, you, you wouldn't feel the same, but Austin is is great. And they have all the, the like the flyover and everything, which is just awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I think for me the grid is definitely the best part of my weekend as well because it's that mm. one opportunity where you get that so few people do get the chance to do that or will ever get the chance mm. to do that. Um, whether so, it's just getting close to the cars or just seeing the people and how they're kind of going about their job and working so quickly. Um, do you remember when recently when Max Verstappen had that problem on the grid and they had to basically fix the car? Like we could have been there if we were allowed on the grid and we would have got to see firsthand how everyone's doing the job that we talk about all the time but you never really get to see well yeah i remember um kimmy not starting a race in uh, malaysia a couple of years ago where i think he was on the front row with seb and um they found a power unit problem and i remember somebody mentioning it as they were walking down the grid somewhere else and i was like oh I need to go and have a look at that and went up to the ferrari and watched them work and you had like red bull standing around i think marco was there and horner was there and uh, Toto might have been there as well. They're all like looking to see what was going on and what was kicking off. And yeah, you you had just as good a view as they had. And that's when you're like, wow, this is cool. And I think it's the one little window where you properly get to feel like a fan again when you're not mm. working. Because sometimes, yeah, like, I don't know, Bretta, you might get to do um, some more of this with your pre-race stuff. But if you're doing like TV stuff in the build-up, you actually flat out and you're, you're not taking anything in. You're just like going at 100 miles an hour. But if you're not doing that and you can walk around the grid, you still talk to people and try and pick up what you can. But you have moments where you can just be like, yeah, an F1 race is about to happen and who knows what's going to happen over the next couple of hours. And it's quite exciting just to have that little bit of time to get in the zone almost to get ready for it. So uh, I always used to love that. But the flip side is it's just a cool place with like famous people. Like getting to interview famous people on the grid is really fun. I interviewed Aubameyang last year on the grid in Monza for TV. And uh, I really wanted to ask him if he wanted to sign for Yeovil, but um, <laughs> I don't think the Middle East audience were going to take that one. So, <laughs> Well, that was, I was quite proud of that because I, I like, so I have a story of, <clears throat> I saw in Monaco last year, obviously you guys we've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm a big NFL fan, but I saw um, Odell Beckham in the paddock. Like, and I went and said hello to him and I was kind of just having a very quick chat. And as soon as I said I was ESPN, he kind of was a bit like, look, I'm not doing interviews. I said, no, 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 like, just wanted to ask you about, because he took Lewis, he, Lewis took him on that drive around Monaco. So I just said, oh, can I just ask you a couple of questions about how that was? But I was looking and there was a photographer, there was Mark Sutton, a photographer, like 10 meters away. And I was like, I really hope Mark takes a picture of me with Odell Beckham, just because I, I was like, it's a cool moment. And people aren't going to believe that I spoke to him. So at Monza, I remember seeing that med as you talking to Aubameyang. And I remember taking that picture and I got back and said, oh, look, here's you interviewing him. It's a pretty good, I think it's your, I think it's your professional Instagram uh, profile picture, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if it is. But yeah, it, that's a Saunders original. It's not, but good memory, because I couldn't remember what mine was. Um, yeah. But it, no. yeah, so, and sometimes, and, and, and you guys must have that. Sometimes you're like, like this is this is cool. This is kind of crazy. And you're looking around like, I hope somebody yeah. is catching me in the background of this like shot because there's a great one with um me talking to christian horner in monza last uh, sorry mexico last year and i was just asking him a couple you know, i was just like you know how are you feeling for the race but it looks so it's just such a cool shot and you know in 20 30 years time when you look back you have actually got pictures like that to be like well actually yeah look here's a very cool picture of me with somebody yeah there it is i think that's a oh, pretty cool. good picture we'll put we'll put this on the um on the facebook and all the social channels yeah it's pretty good me, i think like, nice nicely 
nicely framed, I think. Probably a bit of probably could have squeezed it in a bit more, but you know. Um, to be to be fair, I think I edited it to that size, so that maybe is my bad doing. But yeah, it's good because yeah. you've got all the fans and stuff and atmosphere, and there's a little bit of smoke in the background because they just set off some fireworks, I think, and it was just so busy. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, um, but on these, but the the Odell Beckham one, just going back to that, like genuinely, I was like we're doing this interview, and I could, and I was kind of like almost like. I was like, Mark, <laughs> and, and he, well, and, and then like uh, one of Odell's like people came over and was like, we've got to go. And I said, oh, thanks for chatting, went away. And then Mark turned around and was like, I said, did you see Odell Beckham was there? And then he went running after him. So I was like, if it would seen him, he would have taken that picture. You know, but he was, I think he was snapping the other way down the paddock. So um, gutting. It is, it is good when you get stuff like that, to be fair. I had it with um, JB actually, speaking of uh, Barreto's first race winner. Um, in, in Monaco, 2014, I think it was. So when, I think it was 14, when Nico parked it in qualifying, um, maybe it was 15, whichever year it was where, where Rosberg made his mistake uh, on his final running Q3 and it meant Lewis couldn't improve and Nico was on pole. And the way you go into Monaco, obviously you walk over uh, a bridge over the pit lane to go down into the pit lane and walk along the pit lane to then go onto the grid because it's just all a bit weird. So uh, pre-race I was doing that and I was walking over the bridge and suddenly heard all this shouting behind and it was people for Jensen that were all these fans that were up on the hill overlooking the track uh, that are perched there I think they pay 15 euros for access to this rocky dangerous hill and to sit there for hours and hours and hours to try and watch the race uh, and they were screaming for uh, Jensen to wave back and I said to him I was like is it ever weird like when you're you're walking to go and get in the car and get in the zone about 45 minutes before the race and all these people are like pulling you this way and that and started having a chat down the pit lane. So we're chatting away the whole length of the walk. Uh, and I asked him about what he thought would happen with Lewis and Nico. And he's like, Lewis isn't the sort of guy to take him out. Um, like what Nico did was cheeky, but I don't think anything will happen. I think it would just be a bog standard start, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we had, we had a decent chat. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, you know, have a good race. And, and he sort of stuck a hand out for a handshake. So I got this handshake as well. And then I walked off down the, um, down to go onto the grid and a photographer that used to work for Crash when I worked at Crash um, came over and went oh, I've got some great shots of you and Jensen in the pit lane and he sent me yeah. them after and it was so cool yeah this whole like sequence um, sadly I looked enormous because if you're walking next to one I was a bit bigger than I am now and two if you're walking next to an F1 driver who so he didn't even have his race suit up he just had like you know the fireproof um, mm. like, undershirt and his um, his race suit tied around his waist so it, he was stick thin and it's when they were all trying to save weight with the power units so he was tiny and i looked massive um and then there's a red bull mechanic in the background trying to walk past us and we're shaking hands and blocking the pit lane so he's looking really angry but at the point as well as i've just looked back to where i'm walking so i'm basically doing this handshake but not even looking at jensen who's like it looks like i've not got the time for it and i'm like <laughs> yeah all right go on then go on let's have whereas i like you said nate afterwards i'm like i hope somebody saw that that was so cool you've just had a good sort of five minute chat that was casual all off record just normal talk and I love those little moments, yeah, which I think you do sometimes get like pre-race or when you're in little areas that not everyone can go. Yeah, it's, I was just remembering when I think that's the three of us, we're talking to Pascal Verlein in Sochi a few years ago, and it looks like a really bad edition of Reservoir Dogs because <laughs> we were walking down the, the paddock in Sochi and I, I can't remember what, something had happened to him in the session. Uh, so but we were all, it, was, it was like, we don't have time to do it at the media wall. So we walked really slowly, like kind of almost like funeral procession pace. But we're all sat there like interviewing him. And it's like, I think it's the three of us and then like a, f a few other guys. But we're all like walking. And uh, the way I'm kind of, I'm ahead of him, but I'm kind of looking back. And it looks, it just looks like the weirdest picture ever. But I remember seeing that after, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like it actually shows you doing the job. Um, I'll try and find that later. I'm pretty sure it's the three of us. 
Yeah, if you can get that one, we'll, we'll stick it on that Facebook page that we're going to plug because we did loads, set one up we? and I haven't actually added anything since our uh, road trip woes. So um, I'm also just going to plug uh, James uh, Byrne, or, or who we know as Beaver, because um, he took a shot of me in Belgium uh, talking to Claire. I don't know if you're able to see it. Yeah, I've seen this. Oh, uh, yeah, the one you posted when you're saying you're gutted. It's also sideways, mate, but never mind. Yeah, I know. I could, I could, I could, <laughs> it's because I've taken it incorrectly anyway. Um, and that was the moment that she told me that she was leaving. So oh. it was good. So that was quite good that he happened to be there. I didn't even know that he was there. He just sent it to me afterwards. But um, I think we're quite lucky, aren't we, that when you've worked in the sport for so long and you happen to know so many people, people just do nice things to you sometimes. Mm. So I thought that I wanted to give him a shout out there. Well, when you're as old as you, Berta, yeah, you get to, <laughs> you get to know people. Whereas Nate and I are still working our way up. We've, if, we've been a while. If you're not careful, Medis, I'm going to get a complex. Well, so... So Nate's first race is 2015, um, although he'd worked in it longer than that. But yeah, first GP with ESPN was 2015. My first race uh, as a full-on journalist with ESPN was Spa 2012. Yeah. So that's eight years ago. Great race to do as your first one. Yeah, that was cool. So you were six years before that, Beretta. Yes. I, I mean, I, I started work at the start of the 2011 season. Just didn't get to go to race until the mid- midway through 2012. But that's when Lewis tweeted out all the telemetry from McLaren and Jensen beat him to pole and won the race. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But also, do you remember, I, I sent it to you guys in our WhatsApp chat. That is a weird link between the three of us, isn't it? That was your first race, Meadows. And I found in my Facebook memories, I made, so when I just, I just trained as, just qualified as a journalist. It wasn't anything to do with racing. And Barreto, you were doing the BBC Live text comms. Mm-hmm. And a tweet from me came up. And I think you responded to that tweet. It's like Nate Saunders says something, you know, like, can't believe Grosjean is still allowed to, you know, something that like you would write as a 22-year-old. And I just thought that was kind of, that's kind of funny because that was me responding to you and Meadows was doing his first race that weekend. Kind of a yeah, nice like overlap. It was really cute. People. I've got it here actually. Um, Tell me what the comment it was. was on lap 22, Vettel yeah. just picked from second and rejoined in sixth just in front of Daniel Ricciardo and the Toro Rosso. Meanwhile, up front, Jensen Button is told plan A is good, which suggests the team think a one-stop is looking good. The Britain leads by eight and a half seconds from Kimi Raikkonen with Nico Hulkenberg third and Mark Webber fourth. That was the live reporting update from Lawrence Barreto, BBC Sport. <laughs> and then get involved via Twitter. Uh, Dawn Ryder on Twitter says, Grosjean, very cagey there. Sign of a guilty man. Nate Saunders on Twitter. How could Bernie ever consider getting rid of Spa? Never a dull race. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The <laughs> what, comment before me was what about What insight. Grosjean. Brilliant that's, insight. I think, yeah, and look at him now. You know, he's come <laughs> a long way. Exactly. I'd like and, to take some credit, Nate, and say I spotted you, and that's where it began. Yeah, you're like, you're like Nate Saunders, that's got a ring to it. This and there were, t- there were two more tweets that were posted at the same time one was daniel taylor on twitter mclaren were over a second faster in the pit stop than red bull phenomenal and then some guy called fernando alonso on twitter hi thanks for the messages of support i'm fine and 100 percent already thinking of monza forza felipe massa um so yeah so fernando had nearly been killed hadn't he by that start line crash yeah um and Nate what, what was had, it like Nate had just said don't get rid of this place <laughs> <laughs> what was it like after that after that whole incident because you know, everyone kind of blamed Grosjean for that, but like, what what, what was everyone's reaction in the paddock? Uh, so I remember it. The the one thing that stood out, I can't actually remember the main reaction. I think yeah, Grosjean got a fair bit of stick. He actually got a one race ban, I think, for it um, for Monza. So um, I just remember that the crash happened, and I just went, "Whoa!" I was like, "That's Lewis," and I was like, "That's Fernando out," because obviously it was it was 2012, and um, there was a, a title to be fought for. Um, was it 2012? Am I right? Am I remembering this right? I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like, you know, this is huge. And then um, David Tremaine said, um, like, whoa, 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 just wait. 
because um, I was getting all excited about the title permutations and stuff. And he was more like, cars have just gone flying everywhere. Let's make sure everyone gets out of these okay. And it was actually a real reflection of my attitude towards how safe racing had been as I'd been watching it, really, was that I, my first thought when I saw that shunt wasn't like, crikey, how close to someone's head did, did Grosjean's car go there or anything like that. It was just, that was a bit spectacular, but more importantly, there's four cars out and three, well, two of them are in the title fight. And, um, and yeah, whereas Tremaine's, having done it for a number of years, much, much uh, more experienced journalist than I am, was like, no, let's just make sure everyone's okay. And then you saw the replay and realised, yeah, he's right. So that then became my stock kind of thought when you see a big crash is, screw what it actually means sporting-wise, just make sure everyone's all right. So, yeah, I did learn a big lesson on the... Uh, yeah, that's a good, I think it's a good lesson to live by because it is easy to forget. You see it and you're like, oh, my God, like, he's obviously okay, which obviously we know from, you know, the last couple of years in different series isn't, isn't the case. So, yeah, very, very, very good mindset to have. Yeah, there we go. We all learned something. And we all had first great races. first races, I think, you know, as in, in terms of experience, even if it wasn't the best race on track, Nick. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. And Andres Iniesta, that's what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks very much, chaps. It's been a blast. I've enjoyed it immensely. You guys both have looks on your faces as if you've enjoyed it too. So, listeners, you'll just have to take my word for it. Um, if you enjoyed listening, please remember to subscribe on the usual channels wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, thanks very much, Nate, for joining us. You can read his work on ESPN.com. Thanks very much, Chris, for joining us. You can read his work on racer.com and you can read my stuff on fwart.com. Until next time, chaps. Network.